0: Uh, he, ta- he talked about, Tony talked about the fruits of the Spirit a little bit, and my first sermon I preached here was in the fruits of the Spirit, and Blake, uh, Pastor Blake had fruit out every week we had, it was, a, it was a summer series, had fruit out, and I don't know if I'd been here for three weeks, I don't know what he was thinking. I didn't know how to write a sermon. You might find out after this morning, I still don't. But, but he asked me to preach, and I had the great privilege of preaching, so I talked fast. I basically took two long sermons, shoved them together and did them in 40 minutes. And I forgot the fruit. That was the illustration. So that was my first sermon. And in the last two sermons I preached here before we, we left uh, went and moved back to Bridgeton, back home to Bridgeton, I preached on two very difficult texts. I preached on wives, submit to your husbands. Okay. And I think that the last one was... Uh, Joshua, when you go into the land kill everybody men, women, and children and I haven't been invited back for 10 years <laughs> so I'm a little bit nervous and I was thinking I thought, well I've preached about 500 sermons since then uh, so that's that's quite a few because I pastor a small church in Lovell it's called Faith Community Church we're four C's we're congregationalists uh, we, we baptize babies I'm not preaching about that this morning uh, but, but uh, 500 sermons I thought I want to show you what 500 sermons in 10 years has done so I'm going to look through all my best sermons I've ever preached and I thought I don't really have the greatest hits and I thought well I'm a pastor and what I do in my own church do I go and try to give the best every week well sure and some weeks I can't give my best I don't have time I have a family I have a job I need to sleep sometimes and sometimes I just procrastinated so I try to give my best usually, and sometimes I don't. I thought, should I give them my best, or should I give them my next? And that's what I do at my church, is I give them my next. Whatever the next text is. So I preached through Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and and now I'm into Numbers. So last week we finished Leviticus, so I'm giving you my next. I'm giving you Numbers chapter 1. So introduction here is, it's, it's, it's a big book. There's 36 chapters in it. We're not going to cover all this morning. No matter how fast I talk, it's not going to happen. There's 1,288 verses, and there's 40 years covered. Okay. And leading up to this, let me tell you a little bit, because I, like, I brought my church up through Genesis all the way up through, so hopefully we've tracked along, whereas you haven't had the benefit, so I'll give you kind of the cliff notes. Genesis, God creates everything. Hope you knew that. We're here because of that. Uh, and then we decided to sin. Okay, that was bad. And then we see the consequence of sin from there. And God promises to fix it. And he, and he creates the perfect family. Well, no, he doesn't. But he chooses a family, doesn't he? And, he? and he perfects them through faith. And we know it's Abraham. We have Isaac. We have Jacob. And then there's, there are 400 years, 400 and so many years in Egypt. And then Moses comes into play. So that was Genesis. Moses comes into play uh, in in Exodus, and he's going to take them out because they've been slaves. God promised this, and so he brings them out. The Exodus. All right. Well, pretty much from Exodus chapter twenty to uh, to the end of Leviticus is about a year. That's it. Numbers covers forty years. It's a lot, we'll a lot to cover. But you have chapters one through ten covers nineteen days. That's it. Chapters eleven through fourteen covers ten days. Chapters fifteen through nineteen covers thirty-seven years, and then chapters twenty through thirty-six cover just ten months. So, I mean, if I was writing this, I think I would break it up nice and neat, right? Be four, 10 ten-year, right? I'm looking at that, you know, ninety-degree angles and squares, right? I don't want my food to touch. That sort of person. That's the sort of person I am. Moses isn't like me, and so he does it like this. There's an asymmetry to to way numbers is written there's reason for that because in 40 years so I'm 42 like I said right you can probably see it in the beard a little bit the white uh, but in 42 years there are stories that are more interesting to tell and there are stories that are less interesting to tell and there are some stories I don't want to tell and Moses probably felt the same way Moses wanted to point out some stories that were, that were the best stories to tell for that poor 40 year portion because they told the most about God they told the most about who God was calling the people to be and what He was bringing them to. And Moses was not writing as a historian, so we think of Numbers as this, this long history, and it was—it's long, like I said, 36 chapters, 40 years. But the interesting thing is, he's writing it because he wants to shepherd his people. He wants—he wants them to have a heart that delights in the God of his people. And so, the text, of the, uh, the title of my sermon. Is with God in the wilderness. Well, the great thing about being with God in the wilderness is that God has promised to be our God and we are to be his people. He is God with us in the wilderness. And Moses wants to highlight that. So, in other words, not everything that happens in Israel's wandering was equally important. But the ones that were most important for their souls, Moses is going to tell. So with that as introduction, let's hear what the Spirit is saying to the church in Numbers 1, through 1-4. The Lord spoke to Moses in the wilderness of Sinai in the tent of meeting on the first day of the second month in the second year after they had come out of the land of Egypt saying take a census of all the congregation of the people of Israel by clans by fathers houses according to the number of names every male uh, head by head from twenty years old and upward all in Israel who are able to go to war you and Aaron shall list them company by company and there shall be with you a man from each tribe each man being the head of the house of his fathers this is God's word let's pray Father, incline our hearts to you and not to prideful gain or any false motive. Open our eyes to behold wonderful things in your word, things that bring life and destroy death. Unite our hearts to fear your name and not to fear man. Satisfy us with your steadfast love that you so generously give in the person and work of your Son, Jesus our Savior. It's in his name we pray. Amen. So I I ask questions sometimes when I preach. You can answer if you want to, but I'll probably just talk over you because they're rhetorical just so you know. When was the last time you read the book of Numbers? I mean, if you're like most Christians, like we all endeavor, January 1st, I'm going to lose 40, well, 50 pounds. Okay? January 1st, I'm going to read my whole Bible. And then I get to Leviticus, and then I stop. Or maybe I make it to Numbers, and realize Leviticus was really hard, and then I stop. But if you're a better Christian than I am, you persevere and go through Numbers, which is good, because... They persevered for 40 years in the wilderness. So this is training you, just in case you're in a wilderness sort of walk for 40 years. But even if you've read Numbers multiple times, it's probably not your, it's probably not in your top five, maybe not even in your top ten favorite books in the Bible. Most people go to the New Testament or whatever, right? There's a lot of great books. It's 66, so if it's not your top ten, it's at least your top 66, right? So, Numbers is still a great book, and so my, my, purpose this morning is to give a little bit of an apologetic as to why you should read Numbers, because if you were to come next week, you would hear me actually give an exposition of it, of the whole chapter, uh, chapter one, okay, but I'm not able to do it this morning, so I just want to give you a reason why you should continue on reading it from here on out. So, <coughs> some people say, you know what, Numbers has a lot of funny names in it, right, I mean, you read those, you can't, you can't even pronounce them. It's true, Sure. And not only does it have a lot of names, it has a lot of lists of funny names. So it's not just like a bunch, it's list after list, right? Genealogies. We love genealogies, right? They're fun, right? No, they're not. They're, they're very boring. You're like, I don't know the who these people are and you never hear about them again. But they're there for a purpose. And you think, well, you know what? It's full of history and I didn't really like that class in school. History's kind of boring about a bunch of dead people that, you know, what does that have to do with me? You know, 1,400, you know, kids are always saying that's so... Well, when I was a kid that was I was say it's the nineties, Mom, right? Where, where we're saying that was so fourteen hundred BC, Mom. We're not going to talk about numbers. So I'm going to answer some of those concerns uh, myself, and well, then I'm going to give the Apostle Paul the final word on that. So first, the names. Yeah, there are names, right? There's nothing much I can do about that. The names are weird. It's like reading War and Peace for the first time. If you ever read War and Peace, you start writing down what the names and trying to pronounce them and writing who they are because they're so foreign to you, right? Denisov, Delakov, Agrafina. Who names a child Agrafina? These are not common American names. We're not as familiar with these as we are with like Bob and Sarah. Why can't they use those names? Those silly Russians, right? But what happens is after reading the story, sometimes these, these rise in familiarity if they are repeated often. So they might not be as familiar as Bob and Sarah, but we come to love the characters and we know those names and we can say those names. The same goes with numbers. Some names come up once, and that's it. We, never, we don't know why. God saw a fit to name them, right? It's called numbers, so there's a lot of counting. So some of the names are, the kind of numbers are kind of named. But numbers are full of some great stories. And as you read those stories, those names become familiar to you. And if you can't pronounce the names, you know, I, I always quote, um, what's his name? Uh, E.B. White. He said, Say it loud and proud. Nobody else knows how to pronounce them either. And if you're really uncomfortable pronouncing them, just do what Kerry Lewis would always do, right? He would, he would say, say Agrafena, mmm, and you just grumble over it and we think, okay, there's a, there's a word that he can't pronounce. It's okay. Second, sure, this is a book of history, right? History. And many like history. Henry Ford once quipped that history is bunk. And a lot of Americans agree with him, don't they? Uh, in fact, American journalist and satirist Ambrose Bierce said that war is God's ways of, way of teaching Americans history and geography. Right? But as the philosopher, poet, and literary and cultural critic George Santayana said, uh, those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it. So let us not actively be condemned. Let us not be willfully ignorant about the past. Let us learn our history in the book of Numbers. Let us talk of these things when we rise up, when we lie down, when we are in our homes, We walk along the way. Third, some don't like numbers because it's a depressing book. Sometimes some people would say, "Well, in comparison, try to read Job." Okay, Ben, I've done that. I love Job. It's probably my second or third favorite book in the Bible. But it's depressing. People like depressing books. They want to be uplifted. Just give me some some uplifting story, preacher. Right? These people behave terribly. We don't want to read about that. Well, it's kind of the point, isn't it? They behave terribly. They're just like us. Or we're just like them, right? And if we're going to learn how to live life in the wilderness, we're going to have to learn how to deal with temptation, how to deal with sin. And it would be helpful to read about people who live life in the wilderness and struggle with temptation and sin. So this is exactly what we need. It's very apropos for today. It may be depressing, but it's real. And and especially in our culture, this, this culture characterized by nominal Christianity, which would rather deal with sin by denial than realistically addressing it, Numbers is a good book for us to study, right? We have to look full in the face of people who sin and look full in our own face. Fourth, some like this book because these stories are kind of broken up by long sections with strange laws and bizarre procedures and regulations. Well, the great thing about preaching through Genesis through Leviticus is Numbers is easier than Leviticus. So there are a lot of strange regulations there. So if you if go, if you track along up through Leviticus, Numbers actually feels like, you, you ever play baseball and you pick up three bats? and you swing and you swing and you swing you put down two bats and you realize that one bat beat wow that's really light now that's what I feel like Leviticus did for numbers so they, they have that for uh, better, the benefit for them so maybe if you want to get into numbers you should start in Leviticus and then numbers becomes easier for you right but Moses he's a good storyteller though regardless and these stories they're riveting the ones that are punctuated with all these bizarre procedures so even if you don't like history the stories in the book they're great There's stories that maybe you haven't heard repeatedly. Uh, You know, you you haven't heard these in Sunday school, maybe. Because sadly, unfortunately, we neglect so many of the stories in the Book of of Numbers. Have you ever looked at a children's story Bible? Some of them are really good, by the way. And some of them, there are 14 stories. And then that you read that to your child. Read me a story, okay? We'll read that ever for over and over and over again. And then at the end, I know these stories inside and out. But there's only 14 stories. I mean, Genesis 1 through 6 has more than 14 stories, right? So if you, if, you gr- if you did grow up under the teaching of the full counsel of God, though, these may sound familiar, but they're not the ones you hear every day. So it's, it's a fun it's a kind of fun thing to remember these stories. It's a book of great stories and even laws, and I promise you that these laws will make sense once you understand the stories because the laws in the book are connected to the stories in the book. So they all make sense in ecological sense. There's a coherent whole there. That's me, right? That's what I say unto you. So now I want to let Paul talk because he's smarter than I am and his, he has apostle before his name and that's not just an honorific so if someone's actually legit an apostle you might want to listen. So we read some from First Corinthians 10 just a minute ago and, and so we're going to look at that again. Paul's basic intention is that the book of Numbers was written for us. For us. All those years ago it was written for us. Written for Christians today. So consider what he says in First Corinthians 10 starting in verse 1. For I don't want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud, and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God wasn't pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. So now you've likely gathered why we call this the book of Numbers, right? Uh, because God told Moses in there to take a census. It's about counting. It's a counting book, right? but the human name for the book is in the wilderness in the wilderness so Paul about to apply to us what happened in the wilderness Continue on, continue on. they were overthrown in the wilderness now these things took place as examples for us that we might uh, not desire evil as they did don't be idolaters as some of them were as it's written the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play we must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did and 23,000 fell in a single day we must not put Christ to the test, as some of them did, and were destroyed by serpents, nor grumble as some of them did, and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. So Paul kind of gives us a quick outline of the book of Numbers, and then he says, these things happen as an example for them, but they were written down for our instruction. And does that catch our attention? For, far from being a dusty old relevant Hebrew history textbook covering things that are so 1400s BC this is a book for us today even the name is most apropos in the wilderness that's where, that's where sanctification happens in the wilderness it did then it did now does now if you're in the wilderness this book is for you now there are four things that Paul tells us specifically about the book of Numbers in 1 Corinthians 10 so let's look at those First, that these things that that happened to Israel in the wilderness recorded in the book of Numbers happened so we wouldn't crave evil things as they craved evil things. Paul's telling us the the history of Numbers is in part a negative example to us to keep us from doing the wrong things they did. Numbers is a book that shapes our affections. Our affections determine what we do. What we love is what we do. People don't sin because sin is bad. I think I'll do the bad thing. They sin because they love the sin. Love not the sin love the things that are taught here, right? This is written so they will not crave evil things. Second, that these things actually happen as an example for us. It's amazing, right? I mean, these weren't just written down as an example for us, but they happened as an example for us. In other words, this book isn't a secondary Christian book, but primarily a Hebrew history book from which we can get some implicit second-hand indirect application. It's not that at all. No, these things actually happen as an example for us. They're written for us. Paul's telling us that the history of Israel in the wilderness is an example to us today as believers. That we're supposed to learn something as Christians from the history of Israel in the wilderness. Third, Paul explicitly warns us against putting Christ to the test. And then he mentions the incident of the serpents and the bronze serpent. And he warns us against grumbling against the Lord. So we aren't only not to crave the wrong things they craved or to recognize that there's history as an example for us but also we aren't to put the Lord to the test or to grumble like the Israelites did so interesting right one of the themes running through the book of Numbers is that when Israel fails it typically fails in two areas so it either fails in in faith or fails in practice what's the Bible about right faith and practice you can boil it down to that they failed in both those things in trust and obedience remember that song we sang trust and obey I love that song but there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey, and, and Numbers is a living example to us, a living, breathing poster child that proves that this song is true, because it shows us what happens each time Israel fails to trust and obey. Right? And that's what Paul's saying. Fourth, this book is about Jesus. You can never miss that part. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. In other words, Paul's saying there that there are evidences of Christ in this story. Those things are, aren't preferable in this book. They're, they're central to understanding this book. Sure, the language and the wilderness are written for you and for me, and even though we're living 3,500 years later, right, they're written for us. They happen for you. They happen for me. For as Paul calls us, those of us whom he calls us, those for whom the end of the ages has come. Right? So these are for us until Christ shall return. These stories were recorded and given to us as a moral warning to warn us about the failures and the slippage and tempt- into temptation of those old covenant believers. And these things were recorded and happened as examples, possibly driving home the practicality of numbers for us. See, Paul's on us first. He tells us not to be idolaters, uh, not to be immoral, not to presumptuously test God, and not to grumble. Well, I need to hear that, don't you? Aren't those some of your issues? Right? You think immorality is for people who lived in sub civilized barbarian cultures? No. I Meaners are immoral too, aren't, aren't we? Right? You, you think idolatry is something that for people who just scratch in the wilderness, you know, make little stone statues, if you will? No, we, we have our own idols, don't we? Right? You think grumbling is a problem for the Israelites that the Israelites had, but we don't. We don't grumble. We don't complain? No, grumbling is a real problem for us. I'm, I'm a complainer. If I don't get the right kind of eggs when I go out to eat, I I complain, I send it right back. right? And I think that afterwards, I'm like, you know, I used to be a fry cook. I would have spit in my eggs. No, I wouldn't have. But I just, I know that feeling. Grumbling is no fun. It's a problem for us. This is practical. This is a warning for us today. These are written for us. They happen for us. Human beings died in these temptations so that God could exhort us as an example for us. This should cause our ears to be wide as we come to this book. And for all these reasons, Paul's commending to us the story of Numbers, right? There's some major themes in the book of Numbers. First, God. I mean, If you read the Bible and don't get God's kind of the point, you haven't read the same book I have. Numbers is no different, right? Numbers, God's front and center. Who he is, what he's like. There's this dichotomy that says we can either believe that God's strictly just or that he's mercifully forgiving right, if you have that, those two ideas of who God is. Well, that's a dichotomy that the Bible doesn't support, right? Because the Bible says God is strictly just and he's mercifully forgiving. That we don't understand how that works all the time tells us that God is God and we are not. And sometimes we have to be okay with that, right? And a book that powerfully demonstrates the truth of this, that, that God is strictly just and also mercifully forgiving, is Numbers. In this book we behold both the kindness and the severity of God. Jason B. Baxter took these words out of Romans 11 and said that's the theme of the book of Numbers the kindness and the severity of God he said God's strict judgment and justice against sin God's lavished mercy and grace to undeserving sinners it's there in spades and Numbers and it never gets old we, we need to hear it repeatedly so we don't forget that this book is about God second, this book is also about Moses yeah, he's kind of a mean character he's writing this stuff down God said at, at, at Sinai, write this down See, you know the stories of Moses' own struggles with obedience and unbelief. Can you imagine having to be the person that leads two million people through the wilderness and having to write down your own... It's like a journal entry. And then I sinned, and God got mad at me. Right? And of course we know at the end. And then I sinned, and God said, you can't go into the wilderness you've been walking towards for 40 years. Right? Moses wrote those things down. He also wrote, and Moses was the humblest man alive. Right? You have to be pretty humble to say that, or pretty arrogant. I think that Moses is probably humble and he's saying, God, I don't want to, but he did. This is about Moses. Moses is front and center. right? His own struggles obedience are there. We know how reluctant he was initially to go to Egypt, don't we? And how God had to sweet-talk him into his calling. But we forget the personal family pain Moses experienced while leading Israel in the wilderness. You know, he sacrificed a lot. I mean, he was content to be a shepherd in the wilderness and be forgotten by history. He didn't care about being famous, right? He wanted to be. He wanted to just be a shepherd with his family. Remember what? What? even um, when Moses' own brother and sister attempted to undermine his leadership, when they asked, "Is Moses the only one who gets to prophesy? How come he gets to be special when we don't?" I mean, can you imagine that? After all he's done, all he's given up, and, and they're questioning that, right? And then you find out that it's partly because you know what? Moses, we just don't like your wife. Ooh, that hurts. It's closer to home, doesn't it? Can you imagine the heartache there? We learn a lot about Moses in this book. He has trials, he has struggles. But we also discover that he's the humblest man on earth, like I said. This book tells us a lot about the character of Moses. Third, Numbers tells us much about Israel's journey. Okay? So the very journey Israel is taking through the wilderness, according to Paul, tells us something about the journey we take through life, life as Christians. The journey in the wilderness reappear in, in the book of Hebrews. And fourth this thing of bad behavior I mean it's kind of a theme in the whole book uh, the whole Bible isn't it I mean we look at Genesis 3 where sin enters in and from there on out there's a divine commentary on the consequence of sin and Numbers is no different it just happens to be a, almost a microcosm because it's 2 million people walking in the wilderness for 40 years I, mean, I we, we do Sunday afternoon hikes and I don't think we can avoid sin even for you know two hour family hike how can, how can they do it for 40 years right it's grumbling that's the biggest one Right, usually I'm doing the grumbling but the thing is the bad behavior if you go home and you read through this book this afternoon you'll be struck and you'll be sick and tired sick and tired of their bad behavior you'll say oh my goodness <sighs> pillar of cloud by day pillar of fire by night God Shekinah glory you have got the, the tabernacle Moses comes we heard God from the, from the mountain so it was so scary he said you know what Moses how about you talk to God and we'll go make a golden calf right I mean, they have all the experience. They, they experienced all the plagues. They saw. They they experienced the exodus from from Egypt. They saw all those chariots get buried by water. And and here they are, right? They're behaving badly, right before God, and God's like right in sight. You can go and say, "Yeah, that's the pillar." When we get sick and tired of reading about their bad behavior, um, remind. I want to remind you that God, right? Think about God feels. About that bad behavior. I'm sure he doesn't like it. He disciplines it, doesn't he? But then think about how patient and gracious he was. We read about them and we say, those stupid Hebrews. And God looks at them and says, my beloved children. Right? So we need to look at them the same way. You know, we, can, we see God's patience, his forbearance, his ability to put up with this stuff that we wouldn't often put up with. And then we stop, we need to stop looking at them and pointing our fingers at them. We need to realize, uh, this is for me, because God is pointing out that I am just like them, right? Think about our own disobedience, and how tired it must make God. Now, God doesn't get tired like we do, but he doesn't like our sin. Jerry Bridges was one of my favorite Christian authors. He wrote a book aptly titled, Respectable Sins. I when I first, I first read that title, I'm like, really? Do we respect certain sins? Yeah, we enfranchise them, actually. Yeah, Respectable Sins. Its subtitle was, Confund the Sins We Tolerate and probably even champion. Or the point our things at the culture and all the bad things the, the culture is doing, because we do, we look at our world and we say, boy, I wish those, those worldly people were like us, right? Consider things that we've come to tolerate in the church. That's the theme uh, of the book. But it just says that by the time you finish writing the book, he kind of felt like he was shoveling dung. Right? How appropriate. The book of Numbers will remind us of that. We're quick to point our fingers at the Israelites. But this book has much to say about us. And I invite you to take up and read. With that, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Give us a fire in our bones to know, know you are throughout this story, the story of your dealings with your people. Let us know that we are your people and you are chiding us to behave well, but to behold you, to know you, to obey you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.